0: Hey, if you're loving creative mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content.
1: I love the saying, and I don't know who said it, so if someone knows who said it, please let me know who said it first. Every book is an adventure. Mm -hmm. Life is an adventure. Why have just one adventure when you can have many?
0: That's artist and illustrator Rochelle Cowan. On this episode, we get into the concept of world building. And that's the answer, world building that you give when somebody you know looks at you and goes, so what is it you want to do with your life? Because that's what Rochelle has done. While she studied illustration and worked in the game development department and concept art, really what she has settled into and is building her career on is world building. And in this episode, we get deep into that idea of creating characters, backstories, foreshadowing how this is going to spiral out into role-playing games video games television and movies the idea of taking your brain and pouring it out into finished pieces of art and here we go with Rochelle Cowan So, Rochelle Cowan, you are a graduate of the Academy of Art University, you are a leader in the Drawaholics Club, and you are the creator of this great project you've got called The Star of Soventry, and all of this kind of revolves around the world of illustration and world building and role playing and all of this great art school stuff. Walk me through how this all started. Where did this all begin for you?
1: Honestly, it began when I realized I was wasting my life away doing nine to fives in hotels and restaurants. And I've always been a huge fan of worlds and games and movies and books. And so I said, you know what, it's time I do something about that. So, you know, I honed in and enrolled in the Academy of Art University. I specifically chose illustration because of how broad it was. It's like, hey, I can get some pragmatic tools, but then I can also get some of the narrative tools or go into the concept tools. And with Stars of the Sovereign Tree, it really started out around one character. I'm very open-minded, and I, I tend to see a lot of archetypes and stuff like that. And I absolutely love winged creatures, and so I was like, all right, well, I want to do something that breaks away from the angel demon mold, and so I created this phoenix angel character, and her whole species, and then I wrote her story, and her backstory, and... The questions kept going and the, uh, <laughs> the next thing I know, I am sitting with the, this entire world with all of this overworld and with all of this backstory and all these other characters and all these other species. And it's like, well, now we gotta do something with this. We can't just let this fizzle out. But it was absolutely fun to watch it grow and progress because every assignment that came up that it was relatively open content, I was like, oh, can I do my story? Oh, can I do my story? My instructors put up with so much. Bless them.
0: <laughs> so, so walk us through what you know Star of Sovereignty is because when you explained it before, we were talking. There's role playing. There's D and D elements. There's graphic novel. What came first? Is it were you thinking of writing the story in this a book, or was it I'm starting with an image I've created for an illustration assignment? Which came first?
1: The idea for a graphic novel came up first, and really introducing fans to the world through a linear story progression. And for Stars of the Sovereign I didn't even have a title until like last year, to be honest. It was sitting like untitled for five years. But as it continued to grow and progress, it's like, hey, from the graphic novel, this can stem easily into, you know, movie or TV show or, or video game because adapting it is not a problem for me. I love the thought of adapting a linear story into something that is more user-friendly or more in-depth. And that's where the D&D discussion came up. And it's like, Michelle, you should really get into d d This sounds like it would be perfect for (laughs) homebrewing and i was like you know what i never thought about it like that i've always enjoyed DD, i've always enjoyed spectating but i was like you let me look into it i haven't looked out of it (laughs) (laughs) so i'm actively homebrewing the stars of sovereignty
0: sovereignty uh world right now that's kind of that deeper question that i've got is you have this whole world you've created and you know we're talking about it like it's just very commonplace i've got this world i'm just building this world out and you know big deal and you're talking about like yeah yeah i've got this and that that's a lot back up a little bit and tell me how we even got to the beginning of you wanting to build a world and go well i gotta go to school so i can build a world because i gotta build this world
1: For me to thoroughly enjoy a franchise, whether it's a movie or a game, just me personally, a cohesive, deep world feels right when you're enjoying it as an audience. And I did not want mine to feel superficial. So when I was going around asking questions about, the, you know, the initial character, Celine you know, and her mother, Amina, and, you know, I was asking, okay, what kind of environment do they live in? What kind of challenges have they had in their life? And that's what really sparked generating the world around them. And once the world got built, their immediate world and their immediate story art got built up, The rest just started falling into place, and it's like, okay, well, you know, along the way, they meet. One of her best friends is a giant, who is actually, yeah, semi-giant giant, giant, like like about eight or nine feet. Uh, A
0: little giant?
1: (laughs) Yeah, just a bitty (laughs) giant. He's just a bitty baby. But he's actually abandoned at an outpost. He was a guard for one of the outposts, and they came across the abandoned outpost, and you know, there's quite a few species that are very long-lived. And he's been alone for centuries. And, you know, just like them, he's the last of his kind. And so they really bonded over that. And so Celine will go to Earth and go to the market to pick him up chocolate, because he absolutely loves chocolate and it makes his day. And she just wants to make him happy. So then that's like, okay, now I got to tell the giant story.
0: (laughs) Okay, again, this is fascinating because you're able to tell me a story that makes absolutely no sense to my brain in that you're just like, yeah, oh yeah, well there's a giant and he comes to back down and somebody comes from space and gets in, there's candy. And, and, and you know, I'm like, you're telling this story like it's the most commonplace thing. How did you get to this point? Because this is utterly, beautifully insane how you're just able to, yeah, you yeah, know, let me tell you. Where did this world building idea start with you?
1: It started with being a fan, you know, it started fa- with being a, fan a nerd. Of
0: what? Just, just um, rando nerd or a specific nerd. Help us pinpoint the nerdery in the nerd game.
1: <laughs> Let me see. Let me go down to my list of 500 books I have currently <laughs> in my library. I remember growing up and third or fourth grade, I already hit college level reading. They tested me. And I was reading Stephen King and Otherworld and Fools and Myth Adventures. Those were actual novels, but some of my fondest memories was in the downstairs laundry room. Almost like a walk in closet Mm -hmm. underneath the stairs. And it was just lined with bookshelves. And on top of the bookshelves, there was also piles of books on the floor, and magazines and comics. When I say comics, there were some Superman and Batman in there, but for the most part, they were always fighting aliens and predators. Okay. So I never got into the superhero craze as a kid. I got introduced to the superheroes with the vast contrast of aliens and predators fighting them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's like, oh. I see why people like superheroes and then when i actually started reading superhero comics i'm like wait a second this is kind of bland but for world building in itself i mean of course you got you know the legend that is tolkien but a little lesser known one that i thoroughly enjoyed as a kid and as an adult is robert e howard who did conan As a kid, I didn't realize what was going on. I just thought the first chapter in the book was just this boring timeline. And in the Hyborian age, that's what it is. As an adult, we revisit this and I I got to discuss this at length. And it's like, wow, you know, he really had his world laid out. And what he did was he generated his world he made the timeline of his world. And he said, okay, here's the first three civilizations. These two fought each other, this one won, so this one got enslaved, this one died of plague, this one, you know, started expanding. Then there was this huge famine, and that's, the whole Hyborian age is going through this timeline. And Conan is just the epitome of a character on a dart and he throws the dart in the timeline and that is Conan and that's where we see Conan in so many different time eras and civilizations you know so it's like oh you got the caveman, you got the barbarian you mm-hmm. got the gladiator that's mainly Conan and as an adult when I revisited that you know after I'd already enrolled in stuff within my first year I was like wait a second that's actually pretty freaking smart. Let's make the entire world and the entire timeline. And then we can plop stories wherever we want.
0: I'm going to back it up on this. Cause this is one that is the hardest thing for me. I think for a lot of people to really connect with their own personal loves and nerderies and things they're really into. What got you into this in third, fourth grade reading Conan? Why not mysteries? Why not Smurfs? <laughs> what was the attraction for you for this deep immersive content?
1: You know what? My parents didn't stop me. I think that was, I think that was the thing. You know, my dad would come down and I'm reading a heavy metal magazine in like you know, fourth grade and he doesn't stop me and he's like, Hey, just so you know, there's some blood in there. You know, maybe some body parts yeah. flying around he didn't stop me, you know? He's like, if you don't like something, you can choose to put it down,
0: you know? Wow, wow. That's, yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, I'm not gonna gloss over that because that's kind of a pretty fascinating way to grow up, it's like, hey, there's gonna be some stuff in there that's gonna be weird, you don't like it, no problem. That
1: actually helped me so much because I was able to sit there and say what I could or could not handle. Mm. And when it came to movies like the original Aliens, course i watched that in elementary school and of course it scared me a little bit but you know my dad didn't force me to watch it hey you, know, you like the comics downstairs here's the movie it's like as a kid i was like oh my gosh <laughs> 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 and, you all know, i would go and hide behind the couch during the really scary scenes yeah. and then i come back out and go back to enjoying it well, um, were all these
0: books and comics were they his or yeah, R- yeah oh yeah. wow
1: Yep, they were um, both his and my mom's. They accumulated a bunch of duplicates in their travels because, oh, dad would go to the airport and, oh, I need to grab another book. And he'd just grab another book in the airport. Same time, mom's like, oh, that one just came out. And so she grabs it at home. And yeah, well, you know, I love the saying and I don't know who said it. So if someone knows who said it, please let me know who said it first. Every book is an adventure. Life is an adventure. Why have just one adventure when you can have many?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, having your parents buy that stuff is kind of a fascinating thing, because that's the great planting of the seed of all this great literature and content. So your parents must have been pretty cool with this stuff in general to allow you to go, yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah, they were. My dad's only request was, you treat things nicely he's like, I got it for me, it's in my collection, or it's for the family or whatever the case is. Whatever it is, you treat it with respect so you don't draw on it, you don't spill stuff on it, you don't tear it up, you treat it nicely and you put it back on the shelf where it was. And so on top of nurturing curiosity, they also nurtured, you know, just a care for things in general.
0: That's it. I mean, I have a three-year-old, so you know, some of this parenting stuff is like, oh, interesting. If you explain to a child that what you have is actually something important, then there is the idea that this is actually important. And then if I'm going to read this, I better, you know, put some value into it.
1: Yeah. You know, unfortunately,
0: at least it was decent stuff. It could have been the Smurfs comic books, and then, you know, <laughs> and we would not be talking to each other at all. Going forward, as you're getting involved and becoming a fandom of this world building and this genre, what would you call this genre? Is it adventure? Is it. I hate calling it fantasy because that just seems like a cop out.
1: Yeah, adventure is a good way to put it. Like for Stars of the Sovereignty, there, there's both fantasy and sci fi mixed in. I loved trying to figure out a way to mix both of them in. Yeah, so like I'm having it take place in the 23rd century, and you have the overworlds, and that's the fantasy element and stuff like that. So yeah, fantasy definitely tends to be a cop-out, I, I, I will say.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, I, you know, that, that's a different argument and a different topic. But, you know, as you're going forward and as you're growing up and getting to the point where you want to go to school, which you didn't, did you go to school right out of high school or no? No, I did not.
1: Okay. I enrolled
0: when I was 26. Okay, I, I didn't enroll until I was like 22, 23, so I, I totally understand It takes some life experience to really settle down when you're going to make that commitment to an art world. But I want to get into that. When did the seeds of wanting to be an artist get planted? When were you starting to, you know, think about art as a thing? As something um. you enjoyed?
1: It's always kind of been there through middle school and through high school, you know, taking the art classes, you know, drawing my free time. Some of my biggest inspirations as a kid was the Diablo 1 game guide back when the games came with the little books that told you how to install it and little starter instructions. Beautiful illustrations and that even though it was just basic character sketches. The, particularly the Rogue and the Endariel just totally enthralled me. And another one was the Drakens and Dragons 3rd Edition Out Makan. I picked that up brand new in the store and I don't have it anymore and it makes me sad in my heart. Oh, uh, but I remember reading that and I think I was in middle school when I had gotten it. And it blew my mind that not only did they make dragons of different colors, they made dragons with different purposes and that were developed differently. And, you know, it almost felt grounded in science where it's like, oh, this dragon digs. So his claws are structured differently and he doesn't have very big wings or this dragon is meant to be flying most of the time. So its wings are enormous and it's lighter. When I got into, you know, adulthood, of course, I had to go out and learn some very hard life lessons, (laughs) very hard life (laughs) lessons. first. (laughs) Once the dust settled from the hardest lessons, and I started retaking control of my life. That's where it really, you know, I started asking myself, like, what do I want to do with my life? And it's like, well, for the past 10 years, it's been boring and tedious. And the only thing I have to show for the past 10 years is taxes. And, you know, I said, I want to leave behind more from my hard work. And I want to have more fun. And I want to continuously be challenged with new things. So I always want to be learning. In the art world, that's a constant.
0: Absolutely every day is is a new technique a new stroke a new turn
1: yeah and then so you mix in writing elements with art elements i'm not gonna be bored ever for the rest of my life (laughs) i don't regret a thing
0: (laughs) what was the horrible stuff going on were you locked in a box in the desert and having to you know welcome people to a hotel here here's your here's your room (laughs) key leave me alone
1: Probably would have been bettered.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> not gonna lie. No, it did get really dark because okay. it was a really bad marriage and wow. strongly gaslit in the beginning, and it just got worse from there. So it was pretty much indentured servitude. It did get physically violent. There were nights where he tortured me and kept me up all night. Nights where I'd be handcuffed for and only unlocked when I had to go to work the next day. It was really bad. So... <laughs>
0: So, so when I left know. that,
1: finally, after 10 years, it's like, I need to do something with my
0: life. Okay. Well, that's not what I was expecting. And I don't know how to segue out of that other than that explains a little bit of you wanting to create a new world to play a wannabe armchair psychologist, because it's a podcast. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But you know, you're creating a world then. So what was the reason to want to do art school specifically, as opposed to say something else? Was it just, this is it, I've got to do art, I've got to, you know, get this information?
1: Artist writer was, every time I made a list of all the different things that I would like to do, I ended up sticking to the entertainment side of things and artist writer kept getting the most check marks. It, It really did, but I chose to go to art school because You know, for literature, I can go to any community college or there's numerous online classes and stuff like that that I can take in my own time. You know, being very literate, it's not hard for me to pick up a couple extra literacy courses to learn what I need to do about formal writing. But art, I was completely new at. Essentially completely new where it's like, oh, maybe I drew five times in the past 10 years That doesn't count for anything because it's a trade skill and it's a skill you have to maintain daily. You have to maintain it on a regular basis to keep them up to professional production level. And so that's where it's like, all right, let me go to a serious art, education, institute, university, whatever. Let me go through for a full degree starting at the beginning and work my way up and build those skills. Because once again, literacy, I can do on the side, no problem. But to have an instructor working with me and gaining these tools, that's what I need.
0: That's a very enlightened way of looking at things. When you realized, okay, I don't know really what I'm doing. I'm gonna have to do this from step one. And when you made that step, how was it? How difficult or easy was it for you to continue on? Because that first year of drawing cones and circles and shading line after line after line, like, that's a big line and a little line and a medium line, and now I'm going to draw the cone again. How were you able to stay motivated? How were you able to go, all right, I'm doing the right thing, question <laughs> so- mark?
1: Being challenged and learning new things has never been painted in a negative light besides with my ex-husband in my life. I was raised that learning new things and working through large projects and taking things step by step is an adventure in itself. But on days, especially when I was first starting out, yeah, it was super tough to stay focused and stay on track. Because it's like, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I Mm. making the right choice? You know, I already wasted 10 years of my life. Am I going to waste another 10? But what kept me going was, you know what? Yeah, this is what I want to do. And if it's something I want to do, you got to take the bad days with the good.
0: Yeah, I know. And and we're joking about the cones and the spheres and the cubes. After that first 10 weeks and two semesters later and you have to draw something like, wow, I can really draw something with just a cone and a cube and a circle. And this is amazing. They did the muscle memory trick on me. How dare they?
1: Right. And the, co- the coolest thing for me was going back to the grids for the <laughs> final project for the portrait. Back in my day, analysis of form was one class. And so <laughs> we, portrait was the final project. And we had like, I think two weeks for it. I'm trying to remember this was back in 2016. I'm so old. (laughs) I did the lead singer for Metallica. I look at it now and I can see where, you know, what my instructor was saying with the feedback. And I can see, you know, where points where the instructor did not tell me about, but I see it now that I'm more experienced. And it's like, oh, okay. But my instructor said, she was like, he had a Deep black shirt on that didn't really have any light coming off of it, so I just did a solid black area. And she's like, "Oh, be super careful with black and charcoal. It is super hard to control and you know maintain and stuff like that. So just avoid solid black areas."
0: <laughs> Famous over last the, words.
1: Over the summer, I said, "Challenge accepted." And I did Bruce Willis in a leather jacket and a full black background. And I'm like, (laughs) this is happening. And that turned out to be like my best charcoal portrait to date.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So telling you you can't do it is really the way to get all of your work done. It becomes a personal affront to your soul. Yes, I take it
1: personally when someone tells me I can't. I'm not capable of doing something. I take it very personally. It's like, no, <laughs> anyone is capable of anything if they put their mind to it. It's like, you don't understand.
0: So as you're going through the program and really learning from the foundations all the way up through, when did you start to realize and start to go, okay, this is really working. This is happening. This is the journey I want to go on.
1: It- actually wasn't until later in my second year. My advisors, bless their hearts, they're helping guide me through the way and and pretty much the entire way I'm like, well, these are the classes I want to take next semester. Is that possible? And they're like, yeah. And so they finagle around my schedule and stuff. Because what I wanted to do was I wanted to do all of the foundation's classes in the beginning and most of the liberal arts. So that way, because I had no skills built up. And it's like, all right, I do not want to take comic layout when I can barely draw a human figure. It's like, no, you're waiting until later in the end until my skills are where they should be for that class. And I can get the most out of that class that I'm not spending the entire class worried about how I'm going to draw the human figure. It's like that one I didn't take until beginning of my fourth year. I I put a few classes off till till the end, but right around, I want to say, end of my first year, that's where I got one of the school newspapers in the mail. And yeah, me being in Denver, I haven't really visited campus at this point, except for like one of the summer expos. And that's where I saw the article about the drawaholics. And it's like, oh, you know, these students are getting together and they're drawing a whole lot. They're looking at drawing more technically, more in the sense that it's like going to the gym. You know, you want to be a weightlifter and you keep lifting weights and you eventually build up those muscles. And it's like, wait a second, this is exactly what I need in my life. But then I looked and it's like, oh, they're talking about going and meeting on campus. And I was like, crap, And so I actually went at that point I had learned the email system for the Academy. And so I sent Michael an email. I'm an illustration. He's in game. Mm
0: -hmm. And Michael Buffington.
1: Yep. Michael Buffington. Yep. And and I sent him an email and I was like, one, will you accept illustration students into your program? And two, (laughs) is it a problem that I'm online? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, Well, are you willing to do 2,500 drawings? It's like, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do to get better. And I was like, if it's 2,500 drawings and 2,500 more, I will do it, sir. And he put me to work and we slowly started building up. They did like little Facebook streams here and there, but... That just continued to build, especially with me being there. You know, to say that, hey, as an online student, these are the things that I value in, in a community and being able to have access to, even though I'm remote. But yeah, so within nine months, I finished in May 2018. So that was just after you know my second year and a half. That's
0: you the, the drawaholic requirements.
1: Yep, that's when I finished my 2500.
0: So the, yeah, walk me and... through that because I know it's it's an it's an absurd amount of content that the drawholics club and i I call it club to make it sound like it's the most exciting thing ever it it is i mean it's one of the better clubs out there but when you call it a club you think happy fun times it's like no you're drawing Draw. (laughs) why are you talking and not drawing
1: (laughs) which is surprising because there's so many members that like michael especially it cracks me up he cannot talk if there is not a pencil in his hand you take a pencil out of his hand and,
0: and he's stuttering. I don't know. I've talked with Michael quite a lot. He's probably still talking to me right now. <laughs> yeah. But But w- walk us through, because, I mean, what is your role in Drawaholics now?
1: So with the pandemic and everything that happened, I was really able to step up and help fully remote the community. So right now the community is fully remote. It is independent. It was built with student leadership, student-run leadership. And so it's got essentially a board of directors that oversees what challenges get approved, when people finish challenges, and mentors to go over and do an analysis on their challenges. We do regular figure drawing workshops and the whole nine yards, but it's all centered around doing the 2,500
0: yeah because we skipped over that it's yeah, it's, yeah know, i realized thinking, we
1: did so i'm like let me people are going like drawing 2500
0: drawings like oh my gosh that's insane and it is uh, but 2500 drawings of what what's the entry what do you what do you well,
1: so it is 1000 heads 500 arms 500 legs 250 hands 250 feet and they all each drawing should be a few inches. I don't know as wide as like three to four inches.
0: So med- medium-sized thumbnails. Yeah, stitch.
1: yeah. You should you should be able to comfortably fit about a dozen heads on a page. Because if you do it too big, you're going to be spending too much time. If you do it too small, you're cutting corners.
0: In reality, most people are not drawing a life-size head. Oh yeah. In oh anything, yeah. in any way, shape, or form, for most anything.
1: No, yeah. And the intention with the 2500, when it was developed, it was kind of modeled after the boot camp class in the concept art line, but just for extracurricular, just for additional skill development outside of class. And, you know, so when I looked at it, and when I went over the FAQs and look, and it's like, okay, what exactly... Is the challenge, what are the details? Is there like a specific kind of pencil or paper that we need to use? Yeah, I went through
0: it all. That... I never want to play a game with you. you <laughs> just, it would just be paper cuts and lemon juice for the hours of setup. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: you, you say that as I'm going on week two of
0: a poem brewing.
1: <laughs> oh, but so it its intention is to build up drafting skills to make drawing a face, to make drawing a human body, expressive hands, a habit, that it is second nature to draw a proportionate figure. So when you go into concept art, or when you go into stylizing something for animation, or you go into putting it into action in a comic panel, you're less worried about the technicalities of the human figure, and you're more worried about expressing what you want to express. So it is there to help you build up the habits because you need to do at least seven drawings a day to stay on top of the timeline. So you have to do it within one year and, you know, seven to 10 minutes, one hour a day. That should be minimum amount of time you practice a day. And huh. so, to ha- it, so, That's
0: interesting when you break that down. It's like, really, it's not that much. No, more importantly, really an hour not. a day is you should be, I mean, everything we do, we should be doing an hour a day, whether it's, you know, going outside and breathing fresh air or I guess lifting weights or taking care of our bodies or something like that. And, but an hour of drawing seems really like the most simplistic thing you could do.
1: A lot of people that finish their 2,500, they look back and they're like, wow, I don't know what I was making such a big deal out of. Because at first it does seem a lot. It seems very daunting. You know, it's like, oh, a couple thousand drawings in one year. That is intimidating. But to be able to break it down and take it day by day, that's one of the most important aspects that people have gotten out of the challenge is being able to sit down and do it and just to simply grind it out, that that self-discipline that comes out of it.
0: Now, I, I know the answer already for you, but I want your opinion on this. How important is the concept of competition when you're creating art? How does that drive you, and do you see that as a helpful tool for a lot of artists?
1: I think there isn't enough healthy competition in the world. When you go on social media, There's all these artists who are so much better, and it's hard to look at them objectively. And the truth is, like, you know, for me, just starting out, or for anyone else that is currently just starting out in their degree, when you look at your favorite artists, they have hundreds of thousands of drawing miles and painting miles. They are way further in their journey. You're at the start of your journey. There's nothing wrong with you not being as good as them yet. You're going to get there in your own journey. But for healthy competition with fellow students, for me with fellow drawholics, like I said, that's really where it clicked with me when I finished my 2500 because I was able to look back and I had this tangible before and after, like, you know, here's one of my first pages ahead almost a year ago. And here's one of my last pages. And they are so drastically different. And part of what helped me through that or get me to that point was the healthy competition along the way where, you know, like we were all racing, racing to be in the single digits. So when I finished, I was number 10 to finish of all time. So we were racing for number seven, number eight, number nine, but we also didn't want to be cut corners. You know, so it's like, okay, with me, you know, I had family stuff going on and it was during the summer, so I maybe was able to put it in four or five hours a day. And I submitted my 2,500, eight hours after the previous (laughs) finisher, but everyone that has finished the challenge and been a part of the community, we're all still a part of the community because to be able to say, Hey, what are you working on right now? And to look at their current skill development, their current projects, even, or homework assignments. And we all help each other grow. And we're constantly like, oh, hey, I learned something in composition class that might help you with this. And, you know, just bouncing off of one another. You know, we don't take it personally when someone is better than us. You know, it's objective. If someone is better than you and you want your skills to be there, that's a goal. That should not dissuade you. That should not discourage you. That should be a goal you set. And you break it down into smaller goals on getting your drafting skills up there, doing style studies, whatever the case is, to get you to where you want to be. So because most of us don't take it personally when someone's better than us, we're able to help build each other and build up one another.
0: That's just fabulous because that's, I think, one of those things you had mentioned, that trade school or that you're developing a trade aspect that a lot of people forget when they are going to art school is that this is a training ground for a lifetime, hopefully a lifetime career. You know, schools, this is just where you're learning how to, you know, hammer nails. You know, you, there's techniques to hammering nails and how you get faster at hammering nails and which hammer uses the right nail and vice versa. And it's like not everything's going to be beautiful
1: oh no no there's gonna be tons of suckage before the beautiful (laughs) oh but you did bring up a lot a good point and i do mention this when i have the pleasure of meeting new students that what we are doing is a trade skill and trade skills are defined by it takes a while to train up and it does take a degree or long program and rigorous study of some sort to develop these skills. That's why people pay people the big bucks when Mm, they have trade skills. You know, like you don't want some Joe Schmo from Montana building a bridge. You want someone who is trained and certified to build a bridge.
0: They can uh, be from Montana. Don't be mean to people from Montana. Oh, this Holy, is true. I'm I, sorry. Only I, was, I get to I be just, mean to other places.
1: I, I was throwing a dart on the board. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, and, I, and I did good. I did not say Florida.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> why, why bring them into it? Yeah. yeah. Why, why devolve? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So what we are doing is a trade skill and with a trade skill, we are able to build our own careers. You don't need to clock in to start drawing. You don't need someone standing over you to start drawing. And that is like one of the things that I love absolutely so much is I don't need someone telling me what to do in order to do something. No one told me to start working on Stars of the Sovereignty. I just started doing it because it's something I want to do. And hey, I have free time and I need to practice. So two plus two equals four in this equation. (laughs) And I don't know if it's something that it's just not commonly said, but yeah, you do not need to wait for someone to tell you when to draw or when to 3D model or when to program. It's like if you are investing tens of thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of hours into learning this skill, into learning this career path, because it's something you enjoy doing. You you don't need an excuse to start working.
0: That brings up an interesting question I've got for you, because now that you've graduated and you're working and you're doing freelance work and you have your own projects, it comes to that hard part where a lot of students and even working artists like us get to the point where it's like, well, how do I structure my day? How am I, what am I, what's my plan? What, what do I do? How do you structure your time? Or is it just uh, lots of darts and uh, quick go, I'm out of coffee?
1: <laughs> lots of coffee. For me, I ended up really embracing the online weekly module schedule. That ended up working so well because I was able to say, you know, when I wanted to work. And to say, okay, here's Monday, here's my assignments for the week. And I look at, you know, everything that's going to be due that week, you know, by Sunday at midnight, I wouldn't wait till Sunday to do it. Shoot. (laughs) It's like, hey, you know what kids in school today? I don't have any projects right now, so I'm just going to get to work on my homework. And it came to the point where I prioritized my homework over freelance projects because like I want to get this done. I want to learn these things and get this done and pass my classes so that way I could do freelance full time. You know, it's an investment, but the being able to... Maneuver when I worked around the week really helped me balance out being a mom and you know having those freelance projects, also being helpful and loving and caring daughter. So dad's like, oh, it's time to go plant things in the garden. It's like, all right, well, let's go plant things in the garden.
0: You've got a lot of life going on in and around you, which is difficult for a lot of people to realize that yeah, that's gonna happen, hopefully. You know, you're going to have a kid and you're gonna have life and be able to go outside and those wonderful things. How do you balance that stuff out? How have you evolved from the person you were, say, in high school, thinking about going somewhere and thinking about, ah, maybe I want to do this to, you know, 15 years later going, wow, this is real life.
1: Yeah! Well, one of the things that helped me out the most was my son, being as old as he was. You know, he was like eight or nine when I first enrolled, and I just thought it was the sweetest darn thing that I enrolled in. I let him know. I was like, hey, Joseph, just so you know, I'm not going to be able to watch as many movies with you because I'm going to have to do my homework, too you know, I'm going to school too, just like you. And that year, come the end of the year for the parent-teacher conferences, we sit down with the teachers and they're like, oh, we want to enroll him in accelerated courses. It's like, what? And they're like, yeah, his, his grades improved, the classes seem too easy, he seems bored in the classes, like we need no, to put No, not another in-
0: one. Yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly what My dad's like, god damn
1: it. Yeah,
0: could I just get oh. a kid that wanted to play football all the time for crying out loud?
1: Right, he's like, nightmares. Nightmares.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you stop uh, asking why? Just stop asking why. It doesn't matter why. Just do it. Do it. Right. <laughs> That's where my son is now. I don't care. I don't care where you draw. Just just stop asking me why.
1: Right. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And to date, he is still in accelerated classes. This is the second year in a row he's gotten leadership and compassion awards oh. in his class. And oh, he's been so amazing. But most of all, he's been so understanding with me needing mm. to work so much. You oh, know, that's there's great.
0: been That's awesome.
1: So, yeah. The, and... Sometimes I think he uses an excuse just to see what I'm working on, but he'll come in and be like, mom, are you going to be free to watch a movie tonight? And I'll be like, oh no, I'm sorry, I got to work. And he's like, well, what are you working on? It's like, ah, okay, I see what you did there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I have to ask, is he into the fantasy and into the stars of sovereignty and all that fun stuff? Is he getting into (laughs) goblins and winged phoenix demon-like creatures?
1: He's just like me in that aspect, except he doesn't read as much. But then again, you know, I grew up around Windows 98, just becoming a thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Those of
0: us of a certain age remember books as being a thing.
1: Right. (laughs) And so he's literate. He does enjoy books when he sits down and reads them. But he's a teenage boy. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You
1: know, and I'd say over the past few years, I've seen him completely like master lego building. Oh we, wow. We got grandpa, quote unquote, we got grandpa <laughs> the a big millennium falcon lego set for his birthday.
0: Well, grandpa needed that. <laughs> grandpa yeah. needed he, that. He, yeah. He, he needed something to occupy his time.
1: Oh yeah, and my son built it and you know just one in less than one day you know like i want to say like four hours and it's like okay that's not challenging him so we upgraded him to like the little aluminum cutouts and then upgraded him to robotics and then he got into programming and now he's an audio visual and he's also working on 3d printing and he's like working on this iron man mat oh helmet gosh and printing the pieces and finishing them out. And like, that's a him and grandpa project, but he's doing most of the work. And it's just like, you know what? I don't care if you don't want to be an artist because what you're doing right now is freaking cool.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, it sounds like this has been probably the most therapeutic thing for you on top of of everything.
1: Oh, immensely. Yeah, taking me, taking control of my life started with me enrolling in a school and taking control of my education, and I'm not in the bad way where it's like, oh, I want to control every little detail. Sure, sure, de-. but no,
0: no, 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 just control is a great thing. You've got your hands on the handlebars
1: going yes. forward. Yes, exactly. And if I did make a mistake, I learned from it and I got back up and dusted my knees and I kept moving. And yeah, it was immensely therapeutic for me. And I started sleeping again. I used to be an insomniac. (laughs) You know, now I sleep at night on top of all this work that I do. And it's just like, how does that make sense? (laughs) I look back to the days when I first started and i would think that decades had passed and it's only a couple of years you know it it goes to show you that yeah it does have a name it's called neuroplasticity that Mm -hmm. is you can influence how your brain grows our brain is continuously growing and so i was able to you know sit there and say okay does my depression and ptsd In nightmares, do they control me or do I control my brain? Do I have a say in what I'm going to do for the day? Not what I want to do, what I'm going to do for the day. And that just helped me get off my butt.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. So many people forget that art as therapy is probably the best because you can then expel out all of your demons on paper form and make them no longer powerful anymore.
1: I mean, for me, it wasn't so much about expressing my demons. There are a lot of times where art just is tedious. You know, sometimes we listen to audiobooks, sometimes we throw on YouTube, or whatever the case is while we work. When we get to those tedious parts where it's like, hey, I got four hours of drawing bricks. (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a silly thing to say it's like no really that is an assignment you're going to have at some point even in work it's like I I need some bricks guys
1: yep yep yep. sometimes you got to put something else on in the background but for me those periods of time you know I was able to focus and it essentially stopped me from hyper focusing on past events and helped me focus on the now And even working through it, like, you know, thinking back to where I could have made better decisions now, what it could have, should have, it doesn't change the past, but I took it as a lesson moving forward. What are the red flags? You know, what are the steps that I need to take to make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future?
0: Some clarity is, is coming through. And
1: so, but then every time I made a new character, every time I made a new place, that was my way of validating myself. It's like, hey, I am worth something. Look what I made. You know, I didn't. I don't even care if anyone liked it, you know. It's mm. just like in my head. I I made this, you know, I made stars of the sovereignty world.
0: Tell me about cuz I do want to make sure we we talk a lot about that. I mean, it, we've definitely, you know, figured out the why. But let's I figure hope so. out, <laughs> let's figure out a little bit of the story behind it. What is that you know, in a, in a relatively small nutshell, what is this world like for you? And what is it that you have now really created?
1: What is the monster in my closet? Is that you're
0: asking? It sounds like that closet's got a whole lot of doors and a whole lot of monsters. <laughs> and uh, we got to, you know, let's rein it in for the uh, noobs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the graphic novel is... Essentially, the main story arc is centered around Celine and her mother. Yeah, they are the last of their kind. Their kind was wiped out by the current galaxy king, the current ruler of the galaxy. And he wiped that from history, so a lot of people don't know. But because he believed that every one of them actually died, they've lived in secrecy and exile this whole time. And they've just been like going from shadow to shadow. And so events happen in the graphic novel that they're going to have to step out and make their presence known. And it unwittingly sparks a rebellion because, you know, there are some people who had never let go of ancient grudges against the High King. You know, so they're like, oh, dude, we've been ready to kick this fool off the throne for years. Let's go. You know, so that's where the graphic novel is going and where it's going to be. Its primary focus is around those events, and that's about as small of a nutshell as I can get right, it. Right,
0: right, yeah, yeah, we could but, really unpack that for eons. But, but so the- you, You've got this thing started, though. The key thing I want people to think about is, you've got this started as a graphic novel. And from there now, so the graphic novel is, you know, you're drawing, you're writing, and then it has now splintered or evolved into what's the next, artistic endeavor or the next
1: Well I am actually going to let time decide where it goes from the graphic novel you know if it goes into Netflix or it you know gets picked up by a video game company or both I don't mind that we can see that it can't be done properly but in one of the splinters that's coming up soon you know one of those little forks in the road is actually going back in time in my universe is actually going back to just some pretty old events after the Phenom race was wiped out. There's this huge civil war that split the realm, and that's where my Dungeons and Dragons campaign is gonna be
0: in. Yeah. And Explain be- that to me because I mean I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons person. I know a lot of people are. I have friends that are. And every time I talk to somebody who does Dungeons and Dragons, it's a week of me going, Do I need to buy one of this? Do I need <laughs> Do I need a new time occupier because this is actually kind of cool but i don't know if i want to go down this road (laughs) but how does that play into it
1: Uh, uh it is a rabbit hole definitely so the selling point for me was just how customizable it actually is and i sat there and i thought about it because it's like okay i have the graphic novels maybe about currently like two to five percent of everything I have plotted out. You know, I want to use the the rest you know that 95% for something. And that's where it came up and like the more I kind of chewed on it, I was like, wait a second, okay, because you know there's gonna be quite a few events throughout the timeline that do directly affect events in the graphic novel. And with Dungeons & Dragons, I hear this from every single dungeon master I've ever asked wisdom for, and they say, you know what, you can ride out the coolest campaign, and the players don't touch a single ounce of it (laughs) (laughs) because you can't control where the the player goes and if you do they call that railroading the players and that does diminish the experience because you know the players no longer have control over their own choices you do and it's like no that's not what it's about and so i was like you know what i'm just gonna throw them in the general vicinity of some of the events and my players can't actually contribute to my story. You know, so it's like in the graphic novel, when they go into the realms, oh, there's a statue in one of the marketplaces. Maybe that's of one of my players. Or maybe one of my players gets one of those blessings where they can live and their character is actually in the graphic novel. And so that's how I'm writing it is... <laughs> I'm letting my players write it. You so know, yeah, I was going to say, is that
0: a new thing or is that something that you've seen? Are, are you finding inspiration or, or emulating there, something? There
1: is no way that what I am considering doing with my story universe is new. There is absolutely no way. I, with how influential Dungeons and Dragons has been for fantasy and role-playing games and just narrative storytelling in general. It has been a huge influence in our media world. There's no way that someone else did not already do this. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> but it seems, it's it as you're explaining it, the linear, uh, I want to make films idea, it's like, well, that just doesn't seem possible. But then you explain, you're like, well, but yeah, I am going to, Own this world in my being. If I really like something, you know, if we use music as an example, it's like I like Led Zeppelin. Well, then I want to listen to what they listened to and who they listened to over there and who that guy and you know it becomes this all-encompassing. Now I, why am I reading Tolkien?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The, The the way I look at it is. Yeah, you know, especially when it comes to bigger projects. Anything worth doing, there's no point in doing it half-assed. That's where it's like, you know what, I'm just let me go all out and then for publication purposes, I'll trim and, you know, cut down a bit, you know, just for whatever production purposes. Sure. But and, and I'd rather have
0: who knows? I mean, at this point now, everything is cross-platform and across multiple outlets and things that it's like, you kind of do need an immersive world.
1: Yeah, especially if it were to go to for games. You know, when you look at making a game, the player is going to be walking around. Yeah, you have quests that you want them to do because you want them to experience the story, but open-world RPG is getting more and more popular.
0: I was going to um, say that I can hear you mimicking what you know the game development team says and concept artists say it's like no I'm not playing this game to win the game I'm playing this game to look at what they made you know there are games I mean what is it Ghost of Tsushima and more games that you can name that I can't where you're just going I just want to look around for a while this is pretty if, cool
1: I am very guilty of that if, if you ask me how I survived being a mom and being a student being a worker that was giving up Pre-game time and movie time <laughs> i i rarely netflixed and chilled but when i did i enjoyed the heck out of it oh um, but and so when i went into a game i wanted it to be a game that visually appealed to me and that i could walk around and just be like oh my god it's so beautiful you know like walking around the shivering aisles in oblivion or something like that yeah yeah totally guilty
0: <laughs> well you know, i want to wrap this up because I, I i want to talk about 17 more hours but i will not because this will devolve and people will just just throw things at me like why are you not asking her about this why are you not asking her about that what is the best way for people to see first of all of course star of the sovereignty and of course your work and contact you for the work that you do in real life
1: well, I have my website that has all of my social media links, portfolio links and information. There's also a page on there just for Stars of the Salvatry where, you know, just initial character development and, you know, a couple environments thrown here and there. And so you can actually get like first-hand glimpses because I put a little mini story for each of the characters on there.
0: And where, where can we find that? That is
1: Nerd Birds Studio. Nerdbirds? Birds
0: Birds with the S? Okay, so Nerdbirds Studio. And of course, all that will be in the show links as well. Uh, So they can do that. People can go and see that.
1: Yep. And then at this time, I'm on Twitch a couple of days a week. And I try to regularly post on Instagram. I may be a remote worker and a remote student, but I still struggle with social media. So if ever (laughs) I have periods of blackout, I am sorry.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh man, this is like a real job.
1: Uh, uh, right just in itself yeah yeah so i but i am super reachable and especially like on the streams and stuff like that yeah wh- if someone wh- were to hop on and ask a question i'm super chatty on the streams oh so. cool
0: yeah tell us you know for the twitch what do you what are some of the fun stuff you're doing
1: right now i'm going to be doing a couple art streams a week you know just a few hours a day of mm-hmm. a uh, couple days a week uh, just you,
0: you live sketching and and live drawing
1: Right now, it's Recreational Hazard Gaming esports company or esports organization, rather. They have, you know, dozens of esports teams under their umbrella, and so I am making their logos and mascots. And so that's what I'm doing for the art streams right now, but it may just be where, like, randomly I'll be working on a painting and I'll just be like, okay, time to get on. Because this is a really cool, really fun part, in, and I do, I'm very open about my process as ever evolving as it is. But then the other part of my streams is just going to be games doing... For me, it's doing research, you know, and seeing how they handle narrative elements and because of Diablo 4 coming out soon and because I am a Diablo nerd, I have all the books and I have read all the books a few times. I remember killing Diablo when I was 10 years old. (laughs) Like... It's, it's in my blood, and so I'm actually going to be streaming just up until Diablo 2 Resurrected comes out, the first Diablo and the second Diablo, and then the, the third Diablo storylines. Yeah, so it's only gonna be for like a few hours a week, but you know, it'll be consecutive like that.
0: And where can we find the Twitch?
1: Same handle, Nerdbirds Studio. Okay. Just, yeah, twitch.tv slash Nerdbirds Studio. Yeah, across all platforms, Nerdbirds Studio. It's my handle for everything, so it's super easy to find.
0: So there you have it. Some great advice and a great story. And I hope you took some notes because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise and employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. Here at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, industrial design, illustration and fine art, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. My name is Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.